You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. This is a prayer attributed to Francis of Assisi, which I think potentially relates to our topic today. Let's pray. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. So today uh, we're talking about the idea of, uh, I don't know what to call it anymore, missions. We sort of compassion, mercy, justice, ministry, evangelism, perhaps. Uh, This is one of our six tenets in our vision, but it's always been something we've done, although I'm trying to get better and better at it. And so I've asked... uh, Deborah to come in, who's our Canon Missioner, and Bethany, who is our Director of Missions and Outreach. And um, do you want me to move this out of the way? No, you I, want it's that? weird. If I, I've and never used this. I've always it's a very substantial one. It's huge. Yeah, it's huge. But the, you'll never run out of space for all your books, which is great. Um, so yes, I'm Deborah Layton. I'm Canon Missioner, which is a fancy Episcopal term for pastoral oversight for mission and outreach. And so we'll talk a little bit from a scriptural perspective. What does mission and outreach look like for us as Christians? What does it mean? And then um, and then Bethany is going to come up. Bethany is the director of mission and outreach, and she'll come up and talk about um, some of the more practical ways that that plays out in our midst as a church. And that's kind of that will give you kind of a sense. That's like our job. <laughs> we kind of tag team with me doing some of the more spiritual oversight things, um, visioning things together with her. Um, but then also she does visioning and then kind of directs the ministry as a whole. So she's really um, she's really the, the know-all person in some ways. Um, and I'm really the big picture person. Um, but we work closely together, and it's, it helps that we're friends, too. So we have a lot of fun working together. So let's pray again, mostly because I need it. So. Dear Lord Jesus, I ask now that um, as we turn to your holy word, you would take my words and would you allow them to um, be words that would be your word of encouragement to us once again this morning. And we ask this uh, in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, If you see on your handout, there are a couple of scripture passages. um, And I I put these down there uh, prayerfully because there are so many passages we could use for talking about mission and outreach. But I feel like I have to start with um, an allergy. And I think that as Christians in general, and then often even as Christians here at the Advent, um, when we've been burned um, by the church or when we've been burned by the way we think things ought to be, I recall as a, a a young girl growing up in the church and um, having being a minister's daughter that it was so um, clear that it was expected at some point that I would become a Christian. And I was so thankful that the moment when I first understood the grace of God, I was totally on my own and no one else was there to see it happen except for me and the Lord Jesus, because I didn't want someone else being able to go to my father, the minister and say like, yeah, I, 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 I did it. Deborah became a Christian because of my witness, and they could get a pat on the back. 
for themselves from my father metaphorically, whether he would have done that or not. And I was so allergic to that. I kind of like knew on some level that was going to happen. So after becoming a Christian at 13, I lived my life in um, in youth group and I loved reading scripture and I loved um, obeying the Lord on one level. I loved it. And on another level, I hated it. And I sort of thought, I'm supposed to do this, um, but I want to do this, but I'm supposed to do this. And I was really aware um, of mixed motivations in my own heart. Would I do this um, good thing to please God or to please my parents or just because it was part of what I wanted to do, and it was a voluntary obedience. And I think that that's why um, we might have an allergy to mission and outreach as Christians. Um, I think that it's because uh, we think that it resides upon us, and then we're also maybe in danger of worrying that we're going to resort back to good works and a mentality of justifying ourselves based on our good works, which is essentially what the old person does. What the unredeemed Deborah does is that she justifies herself based on what I say or what I do. And so a great example of that would be, um, I was a couple minutes late, you'd already started. If I walked in and I said, oh, I know I'm late, but you know, thus and such and thus and such happened, so sorry, but now you all think, well, she's not really a bad person. She's not really um, not wanting to be with us. She had other things going on. But to just walk in, um, and I often have a problem with running late. I often try to stand and not say anything about it. And that's standing and letting God justify me by his own righteousness in his son, Jesus Christ. So there's this human sinful need to justify ourselves based on our works, based on our um, words, um, based on our deeds and our actions. And that is something that scripture categorically, uh, excuse me, categorically uh, says is wrong. And it is not going to work. We cannot justify ourselves before God's eyes based on our own works. And we've talked about this. I'm sure you've talked about this in this class. Um, And it's something that we're so aware of here at the Advent, that then sometimes we get allergic to good works on the other side of faith. We worry that when we want to serve or do something good, that it's the old Deborah that's going to be rearing her ugly head and that's going to pat herself on the back. And that's where scripture gets involved in saying, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Essentially, don't let the old Deborah know what God is causing the new Deborah to do because of his righteousness at work in her life. And so um, what does it mean then? How do we live out in this life of faith um, this obedience to the law, the obedience to loving our neighbor as ourselves? Well, how do we look at that? Look at those first few um, passages that I put down there. And just so that um, I can uh, stop talking, would someone else read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10 for us? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, thank you. Anything you all notice about that? I've kind of done some italicization, so I'm sort of like leading you on. But no, you're doing great. Well, it's my fault because I put in the italics. But do you notice anything about that pattern? It's okay. We're shy. Let's go on and read the next one, and then I'll comment on all of them if no one else wants to comment. Would someone read John 6, verses 28 and 29? Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? 
Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Any thoughts or observations? These are people approaching Jesus during his ministry, asking him challenging questions. Okay, let's go on to Titus 3. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Do you see a couple things here? Do you see the pattern that I was kind of talking about in my own life, that um, there is this sinful, human, fallen need or desire to justify ourselves based on our own works? And yet scripture responds to that sinful, human, fallen uh, desire by saying again and again and again that our salvation is not based on anything that we can do or anything that we can say. And so do you hear that in Ephesians? Um, By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Not by anything we do. We cannot boast, but rather salvation is through faith. We hear it again in um, what, Jesus, what Jesus is asked and the way he responds in John 6. What must we do to be doing the works of God? These people are coming to Jesus saying, we know that we just have to do the right thing and God will accept us. And Jesus says, no, this is the work of God. You hear how he turns it around. This is the work of God. Not that you would do anything but that you just stop doing and believe, that you would believe in him whom he has sent, that we would believe in Jesus. And then we hear it again in Titus 3. Do you hear it? Um, God saved us in verse 5, not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because of anything we can say or do um, to gain favor with God, but according to his own mercy, there we have grace again, according to his mercy, according to his grace, poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, um, now we know that we're secure in God. And then he goes on, just like Paul did earlier in Ephesians, he goes on to say that now that we've been justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we are um, ones who devote themselves to good works. So what are these good works? It says that here in Titus, um, that those who have believed in God, those who have faith, may be careful then now to devote themselves to good works. Um, And we hear it also, I love the way Paul puts it in Ephesians, that just as we haven't been saved um, by our works, but rather through faith, then we're God's work. He has done his work in saving us through Jesus Christ. And then now he gives us the grace to walk in good works. And isn't it marvelous? And Paul says it in such a way that it's so passive on our part. All we do is walk, walk this way. It's like there's a roller coaster and the Lord, we're in the car and the Lord pushes us up to the top of the hill, right? Grants us salvation in Jesus Christ. And then he lets go. And somehow by the grace of God, God then has done the work in us 
and continues to do the work. We're just along for the ride. And yet by his grace, he transforms our hearts so that we now um, no longer want to do these good works in order to get his favor, but we want to simply because we want to, because we just somehow voluntarily um, have this obedience in our heart. And so what I'd say is it's, yes, um, no, it's not by works that we're saved. Yes, it's by faith that we're saved. And then we're saved um, from sin, from death, but we're also saved for something. We're saved for works, and we're freed from our sinful self to be able to do good works. And scripture bears witness to this, as I've tried to show you again and again. Well, what do we do with that? Because the old Deborah still lives on during this intermediate time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. We know that the old man or the old person, the old Deborah, lives on until the moment of my death or the moment of Jesus' second coming, whichever happens first. Um, and so um, sometimes when I see my sinful self rearing its ugly head, I just think, come, Lord Jesus, um, come, Lord Jesus, come again, come again into my life, come again, free me from this sin, um, come again and change me into the person that you want me to be. So in this mixed bag during the, between the first coming and the second coming, we find that the old person lives simultaneously. To the new person. Um, there is um, this sense in which I am fully saved. I'm wholly righteous in Jesus Christ. I'm totally a saint in him. Holy. Saint means holy. It uh, doesn't mean that you've been set aside by the church because you're super, super, super holy. Just holy. We're all, each one of us, holy as we're in Christ. But then also, it's as though I am um, also wholly sinful. And I think, I don't, I'm not going to draw a Venn diagram for you because I can draw it with my hands, right? You often see a Venn diagram, there's like a little overlap. And sometimes people think of being simultaneously sinful and simultaneously righteous as like a Venn diagram. Well, there's this one little overlap, overlap in my being where I'm both of those things at the same time. But over here, I'm totally awesome. I'm fully holy. And over here, I'm totally terrible. It's like the, the both circles are completely overlapping. There are two circles, um, like a red circle and a yellow circle, and they make orange, but really they're just red and yellow together. And so um, we shouldn't let our sinful self keep us from saying yes to doing something delightful, um, something good. Uh, there's something where we can just do it and trust that even in our mixed motivation, even though I'm doing it on in part because I'd love for God to see it and give me some kind of benefit, I'd love for someone else to see it and think I'm an awesome person, um, if we let those hang-ups keep us from walking in the good works that the Lord has prepared ahead of time for us to walk in, then we'll never do anything. And so um, when I was a teenager, uh, we had one one family member, I think it was my grandmother, who every Christmas gave us a calendar. We each had our own calendar. And in a family with four children, having something that's your very own that could ultimately be shared by everyone was sort of special, even though it's cheesy and just a calendar. But I loved every year seeing the different kinds of calendars that I would get. And one year, I think I was preteen, so early 90s, and it was before Photoshop. There was this calendar that someone gave me that had juxtaposed pictures that shouldn't be together um, that were suddenly together. And it was supposed to be really meaningful and make you think about things. And uh, like a teenager who wants to cover their walls with something, I would cut out the pictures at the end of the year because I still wanted to look at the pictures and I wanted to look at all of them. And I would put them all in one place in my room for the next year. And this one picture, 20 years later, more than 20 years later, lives on in my memory. And that is um, a picture of a grave, um, a gravestone. And on the gravestone is a revolving door. 
It's cool because you think about death. Well, I'm sure in a pagan sense they were trying to make it about reincarnation or something stupid about like that. But as a Christian, I was like, this is about death and resurrection. We die and we're raised to new life. Um, but in recent years, I still think about that image because it still lingers on in my brain. I think about it in terms of faith and works. I think about it in terms of the law and the gospel. When my heart condemns me because of my sin and my unrighteousness, what do I do? But I fall upon my knees. I fall upon the mercy of God and Jesus Christ there at the foot of the cross. And I receive grace and mercy and forgiveness once again. And I get up just like we get up and down in church and worship. And I get back out there and I continue to love and serve and live and do what I can and just trust in the Lord for the rest. And then I realize, oh, I'm doing this for my own sake or to get credit. And so then once again, I fall upon my knees. And so we find that this revolving door um, it speaks to the truth of this um, simultaneous righteousness and sinfulness. Um, one last thing about that, and I know I'm running out of time because I want to give enough time to Bethany, um, is that we have to ask then what are the works on this side of faith that God desires us for us to do. Well, there are some parts of scripture where um, the writers, um, whether it's Paul or whoever, the Lord speaks through them to give us really specific ideas of what that looks like. But in general, in the New Testament, what we find is that God has given us a new law in Jesus Christ. And by his grace and mercy, he leaves it up to our conscience. We know that we have the Holy Spirit as we're in Jesus Christ. We are given the Holy Spirit as our guide as the one filling us um, and equipping us to be able to do the work of God. And so the Lord in his mercy doesn't give us a whole five books of rules about what to do, like what we have in the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, really four books that tell you what to do. But we have just these one statements, and the Lord leaves it up to us to trust in the Holy Spirit in our consciences, to convict us of sin, and then the Holy Spirit to show us how to serve the Lord Jesus. And so when we think about these works, we think about the new law. In John um, 13, 34 through 35, Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet. Um, he's about to go to his death on the cross the next day. And he says to his disciples around the room, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. So you ought to also love one another. So there's that um, love for each other horizontally. And we see that it's really a horizontal um, direction because in Matthew 22, Jesus has been challenged about what the greatest commandment is. And he said there, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And you hear that vertical dimension of response to God for his gracious gift in Jesus Christ. And then there's also this horizontal component in response to God. That is... I would say the works that God desires for us to do, to love one another as we would um, love ourselves. And um, again, this word of this law to the new man within us is not a law. It's actually a promise. Because when God says, do this, um, obey this new commandment I give you, essentially what he's saying is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I, your maker and your redeemer, am going to cause you to do these things. And so you, yes, do them, walk in them, but you don't have to generate the righteousness to do them on your own. God is going to give this to you. God is the one who makes this happen in you. 
Okay. Um, I love one of my favorite, I'm almost done, one of my favorite theologians is Gerhard Forday. And in his book, this book is really accessible, I think, if you ever want to read a good, quick theology book, it's really helpful. And one of the things that he talks about, he's trying to make uh, Martin Luther's theology more understandable for the rest of us, right? And he talks about how we are saved from sin um, and then also how we're saved for um, this obedience to God, and yet that it is something that God does in us and not something that we do ourselves. So I'm going to read two quotes to you, so just bear with me. I know it's hard to have someone read at you, but here we go. A belief in the cross and resurrection does not impel the believer to despise genuine human achievements. Indeed, it should lead to just the opposite. It should enable the believer to perceive and rejoice in precisely that kind of goodness that results when man acts truly as a creature. He talks about sin as an attempt to be like God, to attain to God-like status, and that when we're redeemed in Christ, suddenly we're free to be creatures that live in giving God glory, just as Andrew was talking about in his sermon, um, but that also live out our life here on earth. We're not trying to attain to some kind of heavenly status, we're given earth back when we're given our salvation. And so we here are meant to make a difference in our creation in life here. Forday uh, goes on to say, God's action, his salvation on our behalf, God's action in Jesus Christ makes responsible beings for the first time. Suddenly, because of grace, we are also righteous. We're fully righteous in Jesus Christ before God, and then also that righteousness plays out in the way we live our lives. So we'll then back to mission and outreach. What is mission and outreach? It is the living out of this horizontal dimension of the Christian life out of gratitude to God for his work in the vertical component. God has given us Jesus Christ. He's come down to us, um, and then he's redeemed us, and out of response, out of gratitude, we live out this horizontal part of the Christian life, this love for our neighbor, even as Jesus has said. And so then we have to ask the question that um, someone trying to trick Jesus asked him. We hear it in Luke's gospel only. Who then is my neighbor? And Jesus then tells the story of the Good Samaritan, which you might be familiar with. And so that's a question for us as Christians to continue to ask. Who is my neighbor? And you could say that mission and outreach as a whole looking around the world and looking here in Birmingham is saying, who is my neighbor? Well, perhaps my neighbor is someone I might not have anticipated. My neighbor is the person who has an income of $400 a month. My neighbor is the artist who lives in a loft downtown. My neighbor is the medical resident at UAB who has emigrated from Pakistan. My neighbor is someone with a different skin color than me. My neighbor is the person on the other side of the world who speaks the language to which the Bible has not yet been translated. I could go on, and you can imagine where I'm going with this. And I'm going to hand it over to Bethany right now. How, then, at the Advent, do we strive to live out this love for our neighbor? <laughs> Bethany! This is where I get really excited. So this handout is just your starting place. Because um, we've only got a few minutes, and then I we want to leave some room for questions. But we'll talk real briefly about this diagram. And my hope is that we can give you just a framework to process through what does the gospel looked, look like in my life lived out? What does it look like for me and my family to love my neighbor? Um, and so when you look at this diagram, you'll see, and this is from When Helping Hurts, 
which is um, one of the tools that we use. But you see um, all of these different results of broken relationships. And you can look inside your own life and your family's life, and you can see examples of this, that we have broken relationships between us and God, between us and our view of how we view ourselves, between us and our neighbor, and us and even the rest of creation with the whole idea of what is my purpose um, in this life, what's my calling. Um, so if you flip to the back, because that will be your that will be your your homework. It's just to look over it. As a free person, I'm giving you homework. Um, but so if if I was going to say what our goal is in mission and outreach, it's friendship and reconciled relationships. And that means that we need the poor. We need those that are in broken relationships in different ways than our own brokenness. We need each other um, in order for us to know more of who God is and for us to recognize our brokenness and also to revel in the fact that the Lord has saved us um, and that he is redeeming all, all things. Um, so I'm going to read you this quote. Um, it's one of my favorites, and it's from One Helping Kurtz. So, of course, the full reconciliation of all things will not happen until the final coming of the kingdom, when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Only then will every tear be wiped away from our eyes. There is real mystery concerning how much progress we can expect to see before Jesus comes again, and good people can disagree. Fortunately, what we are to do every day does not hinge on resolving this issue, for the, the task at hand is quite clear. The King of Kings is ushering in a kingdom that will bring healing to every last speck of the cosmos. As his body, bride, and fullness, the church is to do what Jesus did, bear witness to the reality of the coming kingdom using both words and anticipatory deeds. We can then trust God to establish the work of our hands as he chooses. And I added the emphasis of anticipatory deeds. It's one of my favorite phrases, and Deborah talked a lot about that, is living into this fullness of this new creature. And so just real briefly, um, some key principles that if you want to get together for coffee or lunch with me or Deborah, then we would love to just expand on. Um, but one of the things is thinking about what is poverty. Poverty is a big piece of what we do um, because it's recognizing that we are the poor, um, that there's all sorts of different types of poverty. There is material poverty, and it looks very different. The, um, the struggles of that type of brokenness are very real and very different from those that are from a more affluent background and have a different kind of brokenness. But we recognize that we come from this definition, definition that poverty is the result of relationships that do not work, that are not just, that are not for life, that are not harmonious or enjoyable. Poverty is the absence of shalom in all its meanings. And shalom being this idea of perfect peace of this full reconciliation that we know is promised to us, but is not yet here. So there's some other principles of mutuality, um, recognizing that we are not better, um, that we all have something to share in, in these relationships that we enter into. Um, and then also the idea of diagnosing between what's the actual need. Um, if you read When Helping Hurts, they talk a lot about relief, rehabilitation, and development. And so we as a church, when we're trying to address how do we partner, we have to diagnose well, what, what's the issue here, what's going on, what kind of brokenness is being experienced, how can we walk with um, which leads us to the next point. Um, the definition of walking with versus doing for um, is a really big part of what we try to encourage people to think about when we enter into relationships with people. Um, and then we're going to just skip back to the bottom. So we're waiting for the restoration of all things. We're part of the Advent. What do we do? Um, well, we pray for we pray for our partners. We offer encouragement when we can. Um, we intentionally um, try to keep learning about what's going on, what's going on in our city, what's going on um, in the different parts of the world where we have relationships with, with partners. Um, we engage in service, and that service does not have to be 
just serving soup at a soup kitchen, um, but it's a different holistic type of service of all of ourselves. Um, and then we also offer financial support. And you'll notice we put that last. Um, it's a big piece. It's what a lot of people think we do is give out money. Um, and it's a great joy to be able to support financially. Um, but that's 10% of the whole of what we get to do um, as Christians that are living out the gospel in every part of our lives. Um, and so ways that you can get involved, we offer when helping hurt small groups and book clubs um, a few times a year. And so if you see that in the adventure, which I hope y'all are on the list to get the adventure, um, then remember that it's very fun to learn about this. Um, it really changes the way you view all of life. It's helped me in how I relate to my family members, really. Um, and so it's not just, you know, I feel like I'm the special person that gets to be involved with ministry to the poor. Um, it's recognizing the poor in myself, um, in my family, and then how I can engage um, in a different way. Um, you can sign up for the outreach email list, and so that way when different service opportunities come up with our partners, different prayer needs, then you can be aware of those things. We have a Thursday worship service that is not very well known, um, but every Thursday at 8.30 in the nave, um, we have a service that's been going on for 15, 20 years, um, and it brings together lots of different walks of life um, that maybe we don't see on Sunday mornings. And so it's a great opportunity just to worship side by side um, with the body of Christ in its fullness. Um, and then also we have a bulletin board. If you're walking to the refectory for you know, breakfast on Sunday mornings, the first bulletin board on the right you might overlook, but it has a lot of stuff on it. Um, and there are prayer guides. There are um, different resources for how you can engage with the work that uh, Mission and Outreach is doing. You can grab coffee with us, and then you can also visit um, the website just to see. We have about 20 different ministry partners um, that we're trying to build deeper relationships with. But the first step in building relationships is being aware that there are relationships out there. Um, and so we struggle with that. Um, again, this is me like throwing lots of things at you all. But we now have four minutes for questions. <laughs> Three minutes. Three minutes for questions. Um, and it might be, again, this might be something you just have to kind of sit with for a while. Um, it takes a lot of time to just process through um, the ideas that you might have about what it means to engage um, in mission and outreach. And I would love, my greatest goal would be if you think mission and outreach and right away your brain goes to friendship, that you don't think about maybe the other baggage or writing a check or even a service activity, but that it just goes to this very simple <coughs> act of engaging in friendship. Questions? Sorry. Um, we did a small group with Lee and Fontaine Pope years ago, and Lee said something probably 20 times before it really sunk in, and I got it. But he talked about works, good works, and a Christian being descriptive of a Christian and mm -hmm. not prescriptive of a Christian. Am I saying that right? I had to hear it 20 times before it like sunk in. Yeah. So it's like, where's your motivation? Um, and these good works come from us. They describe a Christian. Right. They are not. To become a Christian, you do not have to do good works. That it has no, it has no effort of our own. It is just, so it's not prescriptive. I don't know if I'm making sense. Yeah. Prescriptive describes a command. Okay. Do this or else. Right. 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 Prescribed. Right. Describes says this is what you'll become. Right. This shows what it, a Christian looks right. like because of what God has done and will do. Right. Yeah. So uh, like. That finally sunk in after about a year of him saying that, <laughs> and um, and then that that makes me check my motivation in doing things. Is yeah. this is this coming from within and not? I mean, is this coming from like the Lord working within me, or is this is this me trying to earn some favor in some way? Yeah. You know? and that's where I actually 
encourage jumping in because I get stuck in the headship yeah. of like, oh man, it's the old Deborah who really wants someone to notice her and that's why I'm going to do this. And then it's like, no, just the Lord's going to take care of that. The Lord has already taken care of the old Deborah once and for good. And like, he's going to be, he's going to work it out. And for me to hold back and not serve in some way or not do something good to love someone else is. Well, it keeps us in that pattern. Our, like, poor yeah. And that's where this, um, when helping hurts is really helpful because it helps us see what real love actually is. Because sometimes love doesn't mean giving always money when someone wants money. We have that happen a lot just as a downtown church that people will come through here and want this or that. It happened to me just last week that someone was asking for something monetarily. And I did not, I, pr- I listened to her, I stopped, we were headed somewhere else and it was really hard, we stopped and by the grace of God listened to her, and but couldn't give her what she felt like she needed, and yet I still felt like I was giving her something. I was loving her, I was giving her my time and attention, I was looking her in the eye, I was treating her like a human being in a way that maybe someone hadn't done in a long time. Um, so that's where this, when helping hurts, can be really helpful for understanding what that can look like. Sorry. So, yeah, the bells are signaling. Um, uh, can we uh, reuse tabs for just a minute, Bethany? Uh, can we say thanks to that? Um, I hope that in your mind, too, as we talk about this stuff, that mission outreach, although we kind of say that, is not a department. I mean, yeah. it's us. Like, you, you join the church, you are mission and outreach, okay? Um, and uh, what did I want to say also? So next week's our last meeting, and also this uh, week we have the, the wine and cheese party. Uh, it'll be an Andrew week because that uh, is at his house. And next week, uh, next Sunday, the class, Andrew and I will talk about um, what we've uh, – called Reformation and Revival Anglicanism, looking at the strand of Anglicanism within which uh, the Advent sort of sits. Um, will you say a prayer for us as we head out, Bethany? Yeah. Um, Father, we're so grateful um, for who you are, and we thank you for calling us into a relationship with you. Um, and we pray that um, as we leave this place, Lord, that you will open our eyes to the suffering of those around us, Lord, that you will show us uh, what role we have in alleviating suffering or entering into relationship, Lord. And um, we thank you that even though um, none of us are righteous, that you look on us with the righteousness of your son. And so we ask that you will give us the strength and encouragement and wisdom to live into um, to that truth, Lord. And we wait with, um, with eager uh, anticipation of your coming again, Lord, and your restoration of all things. And in the meantime, we pray that you'll give us perseverance um, and great love for one another. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.